Arizona Sports. Sean Payton. Update. 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 So here's the latest that we know about the Cardinals coaching search. We know that Dan Quinn might already be in town for all we know. The Cowboys defensive coordinator being flown in for a second interview with the Arizona Cardinals. He did a first interview with the Cards over the weekend via a Zoom as he was getting the Cowboys ready to play the 49ers. Now, according to a report, and I believe it was Tom Palacero of NFL Network was the first one to report that Dan Quinn was flying in tonight for a second interview. Now we turn our attention to Sean Payton. And the Sean Payton news out there, Gambo, has been complicated. There's a lot to decipher, you know, to kind of read between the lines a little bit with what might be going on with Sean Payton. Sean Payton is going to interview with the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday, according to reports. He was supposed to have his second interview with the Denver Broncos Wednesday, but that is on hold. Is it postponed? Is it canceled? Don't know. But for now, he's. it appears he is going to talk to the Cardinals first before he talks to the Denver Broncos. Then there's this report of a mystery team. Very Scott Boris-like, right? There's always a mystery team for a Scott Boris client. And Scott Boris doesn't represent Sean Payton, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like, it's totally made up. There is no mystery team, yeah, and but that's, and just that's, to put some pressure on the other teams. And that's it. And that's why suddenly the marketplace, or at least the media, is now looking at Sean Payton like, wait a minute, yeah. there's a mystery team for you? Maybe the demand for you isn't what you thought it was going to be. And now you're trying to take out that big spoon and stir it up a little bit with some rumors about a mystery team because no one's offering you what you you want. Like, this isn't free agency where every team might be after a player. This is the NFL. They have coaches. Everybody's got a coach. If you're not fired, where's the mystery team? Right. I mean, look, Unless you're anticipating that Dallas makes a change. That's it. But Jerry Jones said he's safe. That's it. I don't know if you got the audio on that. Jerry Jones spoke about McCarthy, and he said he's safe. He does like he's safe. Yeah. No, I don't have so that audio. The mystery team? But that's that was the okay assumption number one when I saw the mystery team tweet today. I said, oh, Dallas Cowboys. Assumption number two, oh, no one wants to pay Sean Payton twenty five million dollars a year, and now he's trying to stir up the marketplace to get some leverage back because he's just not finding. And then, on top of that, Gambo, comes this report. It, it's been out there the whole time, but there's been a big, heavy dose of it today. Yeah. Hey, look, Sean Payton will just go back to Fox. You know, he'll, he makes $10 million a year. If he doesn't that, find what he likes, he'll just go back. Isn't you know? that crazy? There was a story today, and Mike Florio was in it. Um, and so let's discuss why the Colts will benefit from the decision not to interview Sean Payton. The Colts have interviewed everybody. Everybody, you, they've interviewed more than anybody. They didn't interview Sean Payton. He's the only guy in an interview. And it says one of the reasons he would cost a fortune. It says currently the Saints are asking for a massive haul per Mike Florio Pro Football Talk. He said, per a source with knowledge of the situation, the Saints want a first-round pick and more, which means another pick. Since by rule, players can't be part of the transaction between teams for rights to a coach's contract has not expired. Meaning the Colts would lose two, count them, two picks at the least, but one of those would be a first-rounder, which the Colts couldn't afford to cough up. Not to mention, Peyton also seeking around $20 million per year Mm -hmm. for the advocates Jeff Duncan. So the Colts didn't interview Sean Peyton, because you know what? Now it's a crazy amount of money to pay the guy, and I'd have to give up possibly two picks. No way, we're out. So it's possible, and that's where the Fox thing comes in. Maybe he goes back to Fox for a year, 
and you know, and then comes back, and then it's a little bit easier for him to come back a year, you know, a year from now. Because the Saints are going to get maybe the Saints get to the point where like we got to get something. If we can get something for him, let's get anything for him rather than nothing. Yeah, there's a tweet from Benjamin Albright. He's an NFL insider based out of Denver, I believe, and he tweeted out this morning. From everything I've heard, it doesn't appear Sean Payton has much of a market. Jobs that he wanted didn't open, and outside of Denver, there just hasn't been much interest. Strong possibility he goes back to TV. All right, so there's one strong possibility he Mm -hmm. goes back to TV. Number two comes from Albert Breer. Quote, the longer things drag out with Peyton, I think the more likely it becomes he stays with Fox instead of coaching. That's two. He might go to Fox. I got a third one here. I got to find it. It was not Albert Breer. It was, I can't remember who it was. Oh, it was Jeff Duncan, that columnist that you just cited a second ago from New Orleans, who basically said, hey, I'm hearing that the longer this goes on, the likelihood of Peyton staying at Fox increases. And I hear that, and it's like, hey, don't make me go to that mystery team. Don't make me go back to TV. You you know, and I I think about this, and this is where my brain just goes haywire on this. Is that part of the reason why the Cardinals are rushing Dan Quinn back in for a second interview? Because they know that if the Broncos don't go in on Peyton, Quinn's going to be the guy they want. And the Cardinals want to make sure they get Quinn before the Broncos do. Probably. Like, like okay, Peyton's... It's not it makes gonna all work, the sense of the world. It's not going to work out for Peyton. He's going to go back to Fox. He's going to wait for next year's cycle before the job he wants opens up. He's, he's not available. We really like Dan Quinn. Let's get his butt in here and talk to him face-to-face before he goes up there. Because Dan Quinn's got connections out the wazoo with the Denver Broncos. Not the least of which, of course, is Russell Wilson when he was the defensive coordinator in Seattle for all those years. It almost feels like the Cardinals are intentionally trying to get ahead of Denver a little bit, knowing that Sean Payton just might not be an option for anybody this year. Then listen to this nugget. This would be bad for the Saints. They desperately need to trade Payton for a first-round pick in the 2023 draft after fumbling theirs away last offseason. If Payton stays out of football another year, it severely limits their options this year and hurts their leverage next year. With just one year left on their contract with Peyton in 2024, the Saints would be pressured to accept a lesser trade package or risk losing Peyton for nothing in the following cycle. We talked about that yesterday. That's the poker game going on right now with the general manager of the Saints and everybody else in the NFL who wants Sean Payton. We want two first-rounders. Well, I'm not going to give you two first-rounders. Well, then you can't have them. Are you sure? Because if you don't, you get nothing. You get nothing for a nothing asset. You get nothing for an asset who's just going to sit and rot for another you year. Lose. I'll, you lose, you get nothing. Right. It, it's sort of like you can sit there, and if you're Mickey Loomis, say till you're blue in the face, two firsts, two firsts, two firsts, or you can't have them. Really? Because... I'm offering you a second right now, and that's better than nothing. You don't have a first-round pick this year because of Chris Olave. I'm offering you a second. Do you want this deal or not? Because I'm not meeting your terms. So now you play it out. If he doesn't go anywhere, and now, now there's only one year left on his contract, you get to next year, you lose a lot of leverage. Because a year later, he's got he's free and clear. Yeah. Contract. Term would have expired. And then Sean Payton goes to Mickey Loomis and says, okay, come on, really, man. I got the Denver Broncos. They're going to pay me $20 million a year. Will you please just take a second round from them instead of a first? Or whatever the case may be. And then you negotiate. Will you take a second and a fifth, a second and a sixth? And, you know, you try to come away with something to kind of save face that you didn't get a first. And that's where a lot of people think that New Orleans, for all of this bluster over, we're taking this. And we're going to talk with the New Orleans guy a little bit later. And I'll be really curious to see what his sense of their state of resolve is. Like, are the Saints really prepared to tell teams, go fly a kite 
if you don't give us two firsts for Sean Payton. Because if they're really going to stick with that, then it might be very, very difficult for Sean Payton to get a job this cycle. And and so now he starts leaking, though, well, I just might go back to TV, or there's a mystery team, or all that stuff. The more this goes on, the more it feels like it's either going to be Brian Flores mm-hmm. or or the other Dan Quinn for the Cardinals and not Sean Payton. Who are the three coaches we mentioned the first-round picks given up for? It was Gruden, mm-hmm. it was Belichick, and it was... Parcells. Parcells, thank you. Okay, three guys. That was ages ago. That was a long time ago. They were all a really, really, really long time ago. Things change. Things change. Things Reset change. the market. You're not going to get a first-round pick for a coach anymore. Yep. You might have got 20 years ago, you might have got a first-round pick for a coach. 20 years later, you're not going to get that. Yep. Now it's a second-round pick. Good. What, what was what was good twenty years ago is not good now. You want a second? Take it. If not, he'll he'll rot for Fox, and we'll hire somebody else. Mm-hmm. Not giving you a first round pick. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very real dynamic that could be a player yeah. too. I mean, this very isn't real. three years ago a coach we, was had for a first round pick. Well, that was those were all ages ago. Yeah, well, keep an eye on this one. It's certainly worth developing. Um, and of course, Thursday is the day. Now we'll see about Dan Quinn when he comes in town tomorrow. What happens there? Do the Cardinals forego their conversation with Sean Payton on Thursday if they're convinced that A, Sean Payton's not going to take the job, and B, Dan Quinn is the guy? We'll see. We'll find out tomorrow. I, I would not Dan be Quinn surprised. That would not surprise me I one would, bit. I would not be. I'd still like them to talk to Sean Payton, but if they feel like Payton's just using them for leverage to get more money with Denver, then the Cardinals could just say, you know what? Forget it. We're not going to have a conversation with right. Sean Payton. That would piss off the fans, but that might be what they have to do. Innings Festival is back. The two-day music fest featuring Green Day and Eddie Vedder and Weezer and The Offspring. Good lineup. So many more. Returning to Tempe Beach Park on February 25th and 26th. Now, tickets just went on sale. You can head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. There was a trade yesterday. There haven't been many so far in the NBA. Reportedly, could have involved the Suns. How likely was it that Rui Hachimura would have arrived in the Valley? Gambo will tell you next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. There were discussions as late as last night uh, that included bigger trades than just a two-way deal with L.A. I was told uh, that there were some three-way talks that would have involved Phoenix, uh, but those larger trade discussions fell by the wayside, and then L.A. and Washington this morning uh, zeroed in on the deal that they ultimately landed on. And that was Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN uh, indicating the Phoenix Suns were in on talks for Rui Hachimura before the Lakers did their deal with the Wizards, giving up uh, a few second-round picks in order to get them, and I don't... Believe well, we wouldn't play the Reaper for something like this anyway. But I don't think we're going to gambo this one, are we? We are not. We're the, not going to gambo the, this one. There were discussions between the Suns and Washington for Rui Hachimura. I am not going to blue oyster cult this. Um, he was a name that came about a while ago. I mean, a while ago. And at that point, I think the Suns were looking to do something different. But in the end, the Suns did have interest in Rui Hachimura. It is true. They did have discussions with it. What made the Suns deal difficult was that the Crowder salary was higher than Hachimura, which would have made Washington, who's up against the tax, have to take back a, a player with more salary or add other players to the deal that they didn't want to add. The other thing that became a factor here is that the Lakers' second-round picks 
were are, are expected to be better than the Suns' second-round picks this year and the next couple of years. Makes sense. So Washington took a package in which they got the three second-round picks, and, 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 and one of them could be really good. And they feel like, okay, that's a better package of what I'm getting from the Lakers than what I would get from the Suns, while also not having to take back an, a salary that's higher than what Hachimura is because they're up against the tax. But there were discussions, without question, there were discussions between the Suns and Washington. So that part is true. It's interesting because... It's been, I don't look, I know Suns fans love to complain, and, and I'm right there complaining with you about the, the things that haven't happened at last year's trade deadline, the things that haven't happened going into this year, or the things that didn't happen last year during the offseason. Uh, it, it's been all quiet on the Western front for the entire NBA. This is only the second trade all season. Okay, and this is basically the first trade of the trade deadline season, right? There, there yes. haven't been very many. There was a line in a Yahoo story that really stood out to me because I do think it applies to not only the Suns but everybody. Um, Washington had told several teams it was looking for a first round pick for Rui Hachimura. Will other front offices with high asking prices eventually drop their demands as well? The Pistons are seeking first round capital for Boyan Bogdanovich, just like the Rockets are looking for a first rounder for Eric Gordon. There are plenty of buyers willing to part with multiple second rounders, but there are teams who want to give up first for those players. And I, I, it looks like based off of reading this, that the Wizards cracked a little bit, like they were hoping for a first round pick for Hachimura. They didn't get it. Fine. We'll take second round picks. We'll do it. Yes. Will other teams do something similar and will that act as like WD-40 a little bit on the trade market, right? Loosen up the nuts and bolts a little bit, get things moving a little bit? Yeah, there's a yeah, I feel, listen, I think for the Suns to have gotten him, they probably would have had to have gone to four second round picks to get him, to overtake what the Lakers three are. But did they like him? Yeah. What you like about him too is, is the restricted free agents. Because there is a benefit to you having your own restricted free agent when it comes to stuff. You're if you're the Lakers and you want to get a Hachimura after the season, it's almost impossible, right? Almost impossible. But now you can re-sign your own player, right, in regards with without regards to the cap, restricted free agency, that or you could also do sign and trades, you could also create exceptions. There's a lot more options when you have him. So for you for the Lakers to get him now, it gives the Lakers a lot of options that they would not have been able to do after the season was over if they wanted to try and get him. And that's part of the other thing to consider too. And we've mentioned this many, many times. I'm mention it again. All right, part of the risk of, of getting a player like Rui Hachimura or anybody really, there's now an expectation that the Lakers are going to keep Rui Hachimura next year. Yeah, you know? they, they're trying and, to keep him. Yeah, they're trying to keep and and I'll be honest with you, as much as I want help this year, I don't know if I want Rui Hachimura eating up tax dollars next year. I don't know if I want Rui Hachimura on the roster for the next two or three years. Like you, you have to when you're over the tax, when you're over the limit the way the Suns are, you have to be very, very choosy about who you're spending those dollars on and who you're giving that kind of level of commitment to. I don't know. I, look, I want the Suns to do something, too. Do not misinterpret this. I want them to do something. I want them to to strike here to see what they can do, because I think this team, when healthy, is good enough to compete in the Western Conference. But I also don't want to sacrifice three years of the future for a player that's just all right, and Rui Hachimura is just all right. He helps them in the short term. I don't think he's a guy yeah. I want a long-term he's, relationship you know, It's going to be interesting to see how he plays for these. He's a former lottery pick. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. He's not going to play. He's not supposed to play tonight when the Lakers take on the Clippers. So it'll be 
interesting to see how they use him. Does he start? He could start, but he's 25 years old. He's got good tools. Um, and again, I can't shoot down that the Suns were not interested. The Suns did have conversations. They liked him enough to have those conversations. But in the end, I think, you know, the Kendrick Nunn salary compared to the Jay Crowder salary. I mean, that's the, just the difference is Washington did not want to take on more salary in a deal because they're up against the tax. And they, if they, to get closer to what Jay's salary is, they would have had to add another player or two to make that work. It became very difficult. Yeah, part of this too, Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports is also reporting the Wizards are telling teams Kyle Kuzma's not going to be available. Now, that might change. We'll see, depending on what happens in the next two weeks with the Wizards and their record and their, where they are in the standings and things like that. But as of now... I heard they want, I've heard that they've wanted to keep him. Yeah. They want to keep they, him. They want to get, which is a prime player that the Suns, at least you could argue, should commit first-round picks to going acquire if they were, you know, if they were willing to extend him and keep him around. Because Kyle Kuzma, in many ways, would check so many boxes for the Phoenix Suns as they gear up for the playoffs, potentially. Tonight, for Phoenix, uh, winners of three straight. They'll try to make it four straight. They got the Charlotte Hornets in town. Last night, the Hornets lost by 18 to the Utah Jazz, so it's the second night of a back-to-back. Haven't seen an injury report. Last night, LaMelo Ball missed the game with ankle and wrist soreness. I mentioned this earlier in the show. I will miss. I will mention it again. The Hornets made only two three-pointers last night against the Utah it's Jazz. crazy, isn't it? Terry Rozier was the only one. They went two for 16. The Jazz went 16 for 40. The Jazz made as many as the Hornets attempted, right? No Kelly Oubre. He's hurt. Terry Rozier. No ball. His name comes up, like Yellow Mellow Ball. And he he's a good three-point shooter. I mean, that's what's hurting them, too, with the three-point shooting is no ball because he shoots, you know, he's pretty good at knocking down four, five threes every game. Kelly Oubre, no, this is one of those games where, let's just call it like it is. If the Suns are going to go on this rehab tour, right, and kind of build themselves back up after the dreadful month, month and a half, this becomes a must-win game. You cannot lose at home to the Charlotte Hornets when they're playing on the second night of a back-to-back. No. You cannot. You cannot. They've won two out of three. You know, I mean, I, Ball's uh, questionable going into tonight. I don't know if he's going to play it on if they've ruled him out I've not yet seen or not. an official update on, um, on They the rebound ball. the basketball pretty well. You, Terry Rozier's a good scorer. you got to look at him tonight, Terry Rozier. Um, but I would think that the Suns, who have not won four games in a row since November, by the way. They haven't won four games in a row since November. I would think that, that this should be a game where the Suns take advantage of a, a tired Charlotte team that uh, come, in, come off a of play last night and win. You cannot lose to this team tonight. No. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, we talk so much about how valuable some of the coaching candidates are for the Arizona Cardinals. How valuable of a destination is Arizona for these prospective head coaches? An interesting look at it is next on the Burns and Gambo show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Doesn't surprise me at all that Mike Sando, senior NFL writer with The Athletic, put a little science behind his rankings and he didn't just rank teams based off his own kind of opinion or perspective or whim or whatever. He, it amazes me still as we welcome you back into the Burns and Gambo show that there are only five head coaching jobs in the NFL. That's a really weird, small cycle, right? Like, sure. I'm used to 
six, seven, eight, you know, more, eight, nine, and, and teams, and they're all like tripping over themselves to try to rush to get their guy because they're in a competition. It feels like all five of these teams are really taking their time um, to pick the right guy. And, and Gambo, I think part of it, too, is that we can sit here and debate which job is the best opening. There isn't a super real clear cut, oh, clearly that is the best job. Every job's got a knock. Every job's got a reason why you might not like it. Every job has a thing working against it. And so it really does become an eye of the beholder kind of thing. But Sando did a nice job today ranking the head coaching openings based off of draft picks and their offensive rankings and their quarterbacks and things like that. It was a really thoughtful piece, I thought. Here's a couple of things. Um picks round one through three. This is important for a head coach taking over that's going to have the luxury of having these picks. Nobody's in better shape than the Texans. Two firsts, a second, and two thirds. Nobody has a better... Now, every team has a first. The Cardinals have their first, second, and a third. The Broncos have a first, but no second, two thirds. The Colts have a first, second, and third. The Panthers have a first, two seconds, and a third. But the Texans are by far the best off with two firsts, two thirds, and a second. The projected cap space favors the Texans. They've got $40 million in cap space. The Colts are second at $20 million. The Cardinals are third at $16 million. Then the Broncos are fourth at $12 million. Carolina's in the negative. Now, we know there's real money and cap money, and you can, you know, you can clear sure. cap space. But right now, the Texans have by far the most amount of money under the cap. So that was a good way to look at it. The Texans have the best draft situation and the best cap situation, if that's something you're looking for. That's part of it. There's also, he looks at three-year win percentage to kind of give you an idea of, you know, and in that category, the Cardinals are second behind only the Colts. I would have would have surprised me to know the Colts lead in three-year win percentage in these five teams. He looks at owners. He looks at GMs. He looks at quarterbacks, kind of like that trifecta that Sean Payton has talked about, right? The the synergy between the front office and the ownership and the quarterback. And that's the beauty in the eye of beholder thing that you talk about. 100%. Like, do you like the two quarterbacks? Do you like Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray, or would you rather just have a blank canvas and you be Bob Ross and you put a happy little tree well, wherever you want to put look, it. Look, I've said this before. I will say this again. And that's why this is such a big weekend for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to say it right now and everyone knows it to be true. That dude is going to get paid, paid, paid. And when he does, your ability to build a roster around him gets harder and harder and harder. They're talking about Joe Burrow being a $50 million a year quarterback. Aaron Rodgers and is... And worth every penny. And worth every damn penny. Every right? penny. But... For some prospective head coaches, they might prefer a team that's got a rookie quarterback on a rookie year deal because then you can spend willy-nilly on everything else knowing that you've got a fixed cost with your quarterback as opposed to Kyler and Russell Wilson, who's going to cost you a fortune. Any chance that they could do something crazy with Burrow, like give him a percentage of the franchise? There was a thought. We're off topic here, but let's go there for a minute because I like this. There was a story today on Pro Football Talk. No team has ever done this before, suggesting that the Bengals should give him a percentage of the salary cap and just basically say every year you make, I'll just make up a number, 20%. 20% of the cap goes to you. And when the cap goes up, you get a little bit more. And when the cap keeps going up, you get a little. So it's not a fixed cost. It is fixed relative to a percentage of the salary cap because he might be the one guy who's so earned then every that. year you know you have, say it's 22%. Every year you know you've got 78% of the cap to spend on other guys. Every year. 
Yep. And 22% is going to, I love it. Now, I love the idea. It's a great idea. Is Bro the kind of guy? Is Herbert the kind of guy who can go to management and say, uh uh, Deshaun Watson, give me that deal. I want that deal. I want the all guaranteed deal. And you go down that road, now you're talking about franchise tag, franchise tag. It's a potential mess. But that's why the Deshaun Watson deal was such a thorn in the side for the rest of the NFL. Because, like, oh, God, what have you done? You've opened up Pandora's box. You've created this monster now in the NFL where you've you've become the one team to kind of break the seal on the guaranteed contract. Now they're all going to, you don't think Joe Burrow's going to want a guaranteed contract the way Deshaun Watson does? It's usually about 60 to 65% of the money's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yep. That's what you shoot for as an agent. That's 60 to 65 percent. Burrow might, if he doesn't get 100 percent, he's probably going to top what the norm is in the, in the guarantee. Probably. He'll probably go he above what the norm is. Probably should, based off of the resume. I mean, the guy should get paid. Anyway, back to the point. Yeah. Some of these coaches might look at Carolina or Houston or the Colts and say that's a better situation because I can, A, pick my quarterback or we can pick our quarterback and, B, we can go four years paying that guy next to nothing. And and, and that's you look at the windows of a lot of these teams that won Super Bowls, win Super Bowls. A lot of them, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. A lot of them are when their quarterbacks run rookie yeah. year deals. So at, at the end of it. I got to mention one more thing. Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah, please do. The average age. The final table he put together shows the average age for starters, not counting quarterbacks. The Cardinals fielded the NFL's oldest offensive starters by this measure. That makes Arizona less attractive. The Panthers fielded the second youngest starters. So they go through it and they show where where they are. Uh, The Cardinals had the number one oldest unit. On offense. And the Panthers were 31st. So there was only one team that was younger than Carolina, to your point. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis was 28th. The Texans were 18th. The Broncos were 9th. In summation, he believes the Arizona Cardinals is the worst coaching job available. Yeah. And that had to do with, a lot of it had to do with that age fact, that the Cardinals are the oldest team, the oldest well, roster. Now, you could turn over a roster, turn that thing over in a year to two sure, years, right? I mean, so I don't know that that would scare anybody off. Of course. You, you move on from, you just you, move you, on from a lot of these gonna guys. You're going to drop J.J. Watt. You're going to drop Rodney Hudson. You're going to drop A.J. Green. I mean, those are three guys right there that are Justin skewing the numbers. Justin probably retire. Yeah, you have four guys off the top of our head that is going to dramatically skew the age number. So I'm not worried so much about the age. It's this quote, um, and this is a, a personnel guy in the NFL, anonymous, quote, Arizona has an older roster and the Kyler Murray contract injury situation to deal with. I don't know how much better Kyler can be. He might have hit his ceiling, oh and he God. will always be limited by his size and his unwillingness to stand in there and get can hit. Can you imagine what an utter disaster it will be if Kyler Murray's hit his ceiling? Yes, I can. Can you? You're gonna be. Uh, you're gonna want to get off that contract so quickly. Gambo, if, that, if that's the case, Gambo. I, look, I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen to Kyler Murray over the next two years. If I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm petrified. I'm petrified that the Cardinals are gonna go three for three when it comes to making mistakes, giving guys extensions. Right? They whiffed on Cliff. They whiffed on Kime, and they've got two years to prove they didn't whiff on Kyler. And I think if you're a Cardinals fan, the thing that metaphorically keeps you up at night every single night is, oh, God, what if they were wrong about Kyler? What if they gave him all that money and he's and he's Jared Goff, he's Carson Wentz, he's because that that if they did that, what a catastrophe that is for the organization. If they hire a defensive minded coach, 
They're not hiring an offensive guy saying you got to you know you got to work with Kyle. You got to get the most out of him. They're not hire a defensive guy who's going to hire an offensive coordinator to get the most out of Kyle. Well, and that's when the offensive coordinator job becomes. It already is in some ways. It's not more important than head coach. But boy, is it close. It's really close, right? Like like if I'm Dan Quinn and I want the Cardinals job. I better have an A-plus buttoned-up vision of who my offensive coordinator is going to be. And I better have backup names for when that guy leaves to become a head coach if he does a great job with Kyler. Mm -hmm. I better have that locked, loaded, and ready to go because that is priority numero uno that he needs to convey to Michael Bidwell and Monty Austin for it without debate. It's just interesting that if they go with a defensive guy, I'm not saying you're you're punting on Kyler, but you're saying that the most important thing is to get the coach right. Not to get the coach that's going to fix Kyler, but to get the right coach. Yes. Right? Two Which, ways you can go. I need the coach that's going to get the most out of Kyler because I got all this. No, I just need the right coach. I don't care if he's offensive defense. I just need the right coach. Yes. If he's not an offensive guy, that's fine. But it's not like I've got to hire an offensive guy because I've got to get the most out of Kyler. Texas, your thoughts on the FanDuel text line. It is always open for you at 620-620 right now. He had a lot of responsibility heaped upon him the last few weeks. Now, well, now it looks like Mikel Bridges is flourishing in ways we had always hoped he would. We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Back here on the Burns and Gambo show, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Suns and the Charlotte Hornets tonight at 7 o'clock. Bonus Burns and Gambo until 6.30. Of course, the return of Chris Paul, the return of Cam Johnson, neither one of which were on the injury list for tonight's game, so presumably they're good to go. DeAndre Ayton is listed as doubtful for tonight's game. He's starting to feel better after his non-COVID illness. But it sounds like based off of your info, to Dallas on Thursday. Thursday. Thursday against Dallas, I'm expecting he's going to play. That's what they're shooting for. Yep. And for the Suns, a three-game win streak against you know maybe some unlikely er opponents in Brooklyn and in Memphis tonight. Tonight you're taking on a 13 and 35 Hornets team. Like we talk about matchups where or teams in this league where you know you're in the lottery, you know you're not playing for the play-in tournament. There's only like five or six of them. The Hornets. Are one of them. You have to win this game. You got to win this game. You have to win this game. Four-game winning streak will be the first one since November. That's crazy. November last time had a four-game winning streak. And then part of why that might happen is Mikel Bridges. Now, we've talked a lot about Mikel. We had Mikel on the show a week ago, as a matter of fact. And Mikel, during this time without Chris, without Devin, at times without Aiton, at times without Payne and Shamit and everybody else, it's been a real growth curve for Mikel Bridges. And we've seen some struggles, frankly, out of Mikel. Quite a few, almost all of December and even like the first half of January. Man, you look at the numbers over his last six games, seven games, nine games. You're starting to get comfortable? You're starting to see a player who might be getting comfortable with more and who needs to not defer to Book and Paul when everybody starts to come back. Has he taken that leap? Has he made that step in his evolution as a basketball player? It's something we don't talk about, but what a benefit that would be for the Phoenix Suns if he's a guy that, you know, he's that guy. We've always talked about the Suns need another scorer in case Book and Paul don't get it done. What if it is Mikhail? Yeah. He's had how many straight games with 20 points? He's had, oh, give me a second. It's in my notes here. Four? Four, I think. Yes. Four straight games with 20 points? Over his last seven games, he's averaging nearly 22 points per game. So think about this. If he, now, he, 
he, he, we watched him without Book and Paul try to be the main scorer so many times and, and fail and fail. And if he is now developed, it's five games, five games, five games with twenty points straight, five yep. straight games. Yep. Okay, if he could develop into that guy. Now I'm not saying you still don't need to go out and get another scorer because you do. You need to get somebody else. I do believe that. But if he could develop into that guy, that hey, that 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 pressuring Chris Paul full court, they're trapping Book. Get the ball to Mikhail. If he's got that ability to score and give you 20, that could take a lot of the pressure off those other guys and force defenses to have to contend with him. Yeah, no doubt. It's the longest stretch of his career. He's never gone five straight games with 20 or more points in each game. Um, over that span, he's averaging like 24 points per game. He's shooting 48% from the floor. He's shooting 43% from three-point range. And again, and I was thinking about this with the Grizzlies game. Think about everything they are asking him to do. He's got John Morant on one end, and he's halfway carrying the offense on the other, right? Now, that's a big load. And eventually, he's going to wear down, and eventually, he's going to get tight. you got to worry about the Iron Man a little bit. And, and I'm not saying they give him a night off and interrupt the streak. But I do think they have to be cautious somewhat with his minutes because he is a true two-way player who might wear down with the grind of having to defend the best player on the other team every single night and be responsible for scoring 20 points. But if they can manage his minutes well enough, it, it look... It was painful to watch in December. It was painful to watch in January. This version of Mikel, I think the big question for me is when Devin Booker comes back, is he still this guy? You know? Or does he defer? Does he. Because Mikel's always been a defer, for lack of a better way of putting it. A deferrer. A deferrer. Is that a word? I don't know. Deferrer? <laughs> is deferrer a word? Defer-er? Can you be a deferrer? Can you be a deferrer? There were Eric, games. Can you be a deferrer? Off the top of my head, I would say yes, but it doesn't sound right. But I'll look it up. We for are sure. the dumbest show. I mean, mm. our, as our boss on the other side of the glass can attest, we are the dumbest show on the radio. He, he, so yeah, he, he, yeah. the chances of us, Mitch, you have an update is defer. one who defers or puts off, according to Wiktionary, which I assume is Wikipedia's dictionary. Okay, so does that? I think it's a word. Judges ruling. Do we have ourselves a word. There's a Cambridge version that's deferrer, but it's got like accents. Okay, you and you stuff need to on keep it. that to yourself. Uh, <laughs> deferrer. Okay, it's a word. Good. See, there we're were not games, so dumb. There were games. Mikhail Bridges two for twelve against the Boston Celtics. Four for twenty four against the Houston Rockets. Uh, two for seven against Memphis. There, there were three for thirteen against Chicago. There were three for thirteen against Orlando. Oof, man, it was. Some, there were some rough games for Mikhail Bridges. There were some rough games, you know, when tried to pick up the scoring load. But you're looking at these shots now. These five games, he's taken 21, 19, 19, 16, and 14. So somewhere between 14 and 21 shots in all of those games. Yep. Okay? It's pretty good because there were plenty of games this year. He t- uh, This month, this month, he took 10 shots against Denver. He took 10 against Cleveland. He took 10 against Miami. He took 11 against New York. Now it's 14, 16, 19, 19, 21. When these other guys go back, it would be wise for them to continue to have him get get shots. It would be wise because it's going to only it's going to benefit them. Yeah. It's going to benefit Booker and Paul if somebody else steps up. Remember when we were sitting there saying it should be DeAndre Ayton? It should be DeAndre. Well, it wasn't DeAndre Ayton. We thought that you know with those guys out, DeAndre should be the guy that steps up. And then you know it was that should it be McHale? 
I, it would be wise for those guys to continue to try to feed Mikhail to see if this can be who he is, where he can go get you. Because if he can get you 20 to 25 a night, that will alleviate a lot of the pressure off those other two. It's been, it feels like, the two-year debate with Mikhail. Does he have that in him? And the way he responded in December, it's, it felt like the answer was no, that he doesn't have that in him, that he just can't, that as the shots go up, his efficiency goes down. This stretch, and I know it's only a stretch of eight, nine, six, seven games, however you want, it has been valuable for him. I mean, it take, and Kellen pointed this out on ArizonaSports.com a couple days ago. Man, it takes some guys years to develop that kind of game that Mikel's trying to work on right now. The ability to create your own shot, to to make it for yourself and not rely on being a catch-and-shoot guy and, and to kind of see where the court's going to open up to pass. Mikel Bridges had a career high in assists the other night. They weren't like fancy Chris Paul, Devin Booker-like assists. They were like the basic yeah. smart pass, but you still have to know when to make those. You know, it's not like they traded Booker and Paul. Those guys that they just haven't played. There was a time when the Chicago, when everybody wanted the Bulls guys to come be their number one or number two scorer. Scott Williams, Luke Longley, Tony Kukoc. Like, there was a time when everybody, you know, yeah, Jordan and, and everybody, those other guys were good. They were so efficient because they didn't have a lot of opportunities and they, they were very efficient at what they did. And then when they got opportunities to go play elsewhere, Luke Longley was here and Scott Williams was in Philly and you know, Kukoc and those guys weren't able to do it. They weren't able to be that that score when they were asked to, to be a number one or a number two guy, it became very difficult for them. Yeah. And you know, that's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do to be a guy that could be a volume scorer and be the number one or number two guy on a team that has to put the ball in a basket. I mean, you know me. I'm, I'm a sample size guy, and so I'm not going to get too excited about seven games, because at the end of the day, it's just seven games. I mean, hell, think about the mistakes the Cardinals have made based off of seven games and starting a season 7-0. and But that being said, Mikel Bridges' career averages 16 16- Point three points per game, 3.5 assists per night. That's what he was averaging for the season. Uh, those were the career-high numbers for him. Over the last seven games, Bridges is averaging 21.7 points, 5.6 assists, and only two assists per game. Now, you would expect these numbers to go up because there's nobody else out there, but you still have to do it. We expected DeAndre Eaton's numbers to go up. You still have to get it done when it's all said and done. It's, it's, we love Mikel. We root for Mikel. It's great to see Mikel doing this. He just has to keep it up, and we'll see what he does tonight against Charlotte. And I, would, I do want to thank Gerald Bourget from PHNX Sports because his story was kind of the launching pad for this conversation. I wanted to make sure I gave credit. We're credit was due. When we come back, we have a lot to get you caught up on. The Arizona Cardinals continue their search for the next head coach. The Suns were involved in some trade rumors the last couple of days. You want to know what's going on? You'll keep it right here on the Burns and Gambo Show. The 4 o'clock reset is next.